The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Relax. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Hey, look, I don't know. Um, uh, we've talked about Dolph Lundgren on uh, the show before. I don't know. Have you had discussions about him on Fofop with other guests? Like yeah. how far into the, the, the Lundgren uh, uh, discussions have you gotten? Like what have you established? Well, it's one of these things where initially Jen Kirkman and I just talked about it on the podcast mm. without us knowing mm. anything about him being in the area. We just happened to have a conversation right. one day about how much we love Dolph. And uh, yeah. th- then as if my podcast was the secret we manifested <laughs> Dolph in our lives. So I first saw him at that little health food shop that's down on the corner. Uh, he was in yeah. there as I was walking by. I wasn't going into the health food shop. Dolph, much more healthy lifestyle than I have. As, he- <laughs> as healthy as I get is being on a walk past that health food shop. But um, I saw him there and then he was spotted in the building that I live in. Now, yeah. Uh, since- and, and I was I was I was one of those I had one of those spottings uh, last year I think when I came to visit you I saw a tall blonde Swedish man exiting your building I was like oh that looks like Ivan Drago so I was one of those people right so there's been a couple of people since who've definitely seen him in the building but I hadn't had a personal spotting of him in the building myself so I've had no confirmation that he actually lives in yeah. the building up until this point. It has just been pure speculation. He might just have a friend who lives in the building. Charlie, he might mm. have he do he might do a podcast with a friend who does the podcast <laughs> out of the building and he regularly visits in the same way as Dolph Lundgren might be looking at, you know, Gareth Reynolds and going, Oh my god, Gareth Reynolds from the <laughs> Dollop lives in this apartment block. <laughs> well, I uh, was using uh, your you've got a very complicated security like intercom system. And I was just trying to work out if I could uh, buzz people in because uh, I haven't worked out how to do that yet. And so I was down on the keypad and I was like scrolling through finding your uh, name to see if I could work it out. And then just I scrolled across Lundgren, comma, D. <laughs> now, I was so excited. Uh, I had to take a photo of it. And part of me was like, oh, maybe I should post this. And then like, is that creepy? Like is right. posting like someone's name on a keypad <laughs> creepy? Well, particularly Dolph Lundgren's name, because there'd be some other people that you're like, you know what, I reckon, but you don't want like Ivan Drago being mad and coming after you. But here's the thing, right? So if this is a court of law and we were trying to prove that Dolph Lundgren lives in this building, we have Lundgren, D. Now, if you were a defense lawyer, couldn't you argue, well, you know, Lundgren could be quite a common name in Sweden. This could be Dale Lundgren, David, David Lundgren coming to visit. Yeah, Davo Lundgren. Oh, it's, oh, it's Davo Lundgren. <laughs> Famous Irish-Swede comic. 
I mean, the Swedes are attractive people. They can breed with people from other races. Everybody wants a little bit of Swede in their life. So, yeah. uh, look, I, you, you're absolutely right. We still don't have 100% confirmation because here's the other thing. How's Dolph Lundgren doing if he's living in a world where he's letting them put his name on the intercom of the building? I thought that Dolph would be living under an assumed name of some kind. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because this has kept me awake for the last three nights where I was like, geez, I wonder like what, what level you have to get at, with, especially with a surname like that, which is instantly recognisable. I can't think of one other famous Lundgren or one other notable Lundgren, but you know, I'm not from Scandinavia, so maybe there's like a Nobel professor or something like that. Mike Howell, can you Google while we talk about this uh, other famous Lundgrens? Yeah, that'd be good. But it did make me wonder, like when he signed the lease or when he bought the apartment or whatever, whoever, you know, whatever um, a, a company runs your apartment building, did he have an opportunity to say, hey, look, there's a lot of uh, Red Scorpion fans out there and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want them, you know, knick knocking on my door. Do you say knick knocking in America? No. What do they, what do they call it? Knock and run? <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, here's the thing now. Now that we know he's in the building, does it come up when you put this thing in which apartment he's in in the building or is that like a separate thing on the function of the front door? Because I'm asking you because I have no mm. idea. I don't know how that front door thing works either. If you work it yeah, out, right. please tell me. I've been living there for four <laughs> years and I have no idea how the intercom at my house works. So maybe Dolph's in the same kind of you know, situation that I'm in. Maybe Dolph's as confused yeah. by the front door as I am and neither of us know and they've just put his name in and he doesn't even know it's there. That actually, that could be a good point because it is complicated. I don't even, I don't actually even, I can't see where in your house there's an intercom to let people in. Like, where does it buzz to? I don't understand where you even well, answer it. Well, it doesn't. It buzzes to a phone number that you assign to it. Oh, right, right, yeah, okay. So there's definitely no way I could actually even let people in. I mean, I was just down there because I was scrolling. There's like a, there's like a keypad, but there's a, um, an, a, an alphanumerical keypad where you can sort of just punch in A to Z. And that's I was just scrolling from Anderson down, and that's when I got across Lundgren. But it may not be the famous Dolph, because uh, Mike Hall has just brought up mm. the other famous Dolph, yep. who is Jeffrey Don Lundgren. So... Jeffrey Don, some people use their first name right. as their, uh, their middle name as their first name. Jeffrey Don Lundgren. Yeah, maybe he goes uh, by born... Don Lundgren and Jesse Jeffrey's yeah. his first name that no one talked about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he is born May 3rd, 1950. Oh, he's dead. No, it's not him. He died on October 24th, 2006. He was an American self-proclaimed prophet and mass murderer <laughs> who on April 17th, 1989 killed five people in Kirtland, Ohio. Mike Hal, I wish you had warned me. <laughs> I just read that through without scanning it first. Well, maybe it's uh, yeah. maybe it's his son or something though. Like if he was involved in some sort of cult, it was probably like he was probably having heaps of sex and he probably had a lot of little Don Juniors running around. Yeah. So maybe this is like yeah, the son of the famous like murderer and prophet. Michael, can you um, just, if there's a, a Jeffrey Don Lundgren Wikipedia page, can you just bring up his bio? It might be worth investigating. Oh, here we go. First fact. Lundgren led a reformed Latter-day Saint movement-based cult. Okay. RLDS. Yeah. What, are, what are the Latter-day Saints? I don't even know what that is. Here we go. All right. All right. You ready for a bit of Wikipedia? Yeah, love it. Jeffrey Don Lundgren 
was an American self-proclaimed prophet and mass murderer who on April 17, 1989, killed five people in Kirtland, Ohio. Lundgren led a reformed Latter-day Saint movement based in a cult based in, in Kirtland where he and several of his followers murdered the Avery family, fellow members of his cult, for which he was convicted and sentenced to death. Lundgren was executed in 2006. All right, can we just pause for a second? Cults. Yeah. What, what's your feeling on cults? Like, do you think you are... Uh, you could be easily led into the right cult, like not the right cult, but a, a cult could lend you in if it had values aligning with yours. If there was a small food, West world, Western bulldogs cult <laughs> that seemed to affirm everything about your existence, do you think you could turn your back on your family and, and, and live in a house with a group of people? And I mean, isn't that what this podcast is, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I see us as, you know, sort of prophets, you know, getting our things out there, forming our people who follow us and, you know, believe in the things we do. And then one day we'll be doing a live show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and we'll ask everyone to kill themselves. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, everyone, so uh, just to promote the show, which is on April yep. 15th, everyone wear matching uh, black tracksuits and white sneakers. <laughs> we'll be handing out uh, pills before the show. Everyone relax. To take them. We're going yeah. to a better place. <laughs> our, rec- our recommendation is you take it before the show starts. You'll enjoy it a lot more. Well, don't you think, though, okay. Charlie, that, yeah. like, I mean, if we were going to start a cult around TOEFOP, for example, just say, for example, mm. people decided, oh, okay, let's put it in a sort of post apocalyptic scenario, right? All right. So Donald Trump. He's got the nuclear codes. He gets angry at some, you know, prime minister or president on Twitter and decides he's just going to set off bombs because his ego's been bruised, right? Um, yeah. So the world gets destroyed and only some people survive. And for whatever sure. reason, we are two of those people, right? We we survive in this in this world, right? But also one of the only remaining bits of communication that survives are old episodes of our podcast. For some reason, somebody, when the internet yeah. went down, there was one big fan yeah. who had uh, recorded yeah. them all onto tape recordings. And so yeah. it was the only remaining entertainment and it was passed around. And over the years, people stopped listening to it as entertainment, but started listening to it for the sort of moral guidance in between. And unbe- yeah. unbeknownst to us, because we're lost in Australia, no communication with anyone, there's they become yeah. this everyone relax cult, you know, much like sort yeah. of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Where we, yeah. we have become the key to future salvation. Yeah, so like, you know, scientists of the future arrive in this wasteland that has been destroyed by nuclear war and they find this kind of modern primitive tribe. Oh, better. And inside the kind of caves of the fallen cities where they've made their homes, there are paintings on the walls of like the words, everyone relax. You know, these portraits of Gary Busey and Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Perfect replications of James Fosdyke's work, who unfortunately died in the nuclear accident. (laughs) But ironically, became uh, more popular and his paintings became invaluable as a result. Right. <laughs> yeah, I could see that, the cult of Tofot. But I just, uh, I always wonder with those, um, like at every point in when you hear these cult stories, and we haven't got further into the Lundgren one, but there is some point where the dude wants to have sex with all the women. Right. You know? Or, you know, the dude wants to kind of kill someone or have someone killed. It's like... Okay, so 
I understand that, you know, uh, a charismatic individual can get you to a certain point. But, like, how does the line keep shifting where you're like, okay, well, you know, we'll go with that, we'll go with that, and then before you know it, you're involved in a bloodbath? Well, I would think gradually. I, I would like to use another analogy. You could be a person who just likes riding Harley Davidson motorbikes or whatever, you know, like proper motorbikes. And to do that and to do it with other enthusiasts, you might ride with a group of guys who are in a, like a more organized bikey club, right? And there might, be yep. an, there might be an arm of that bikey club that is more like a bikey gang, you know, that is doing illegal activities. But to be honest, you can kind of be involved in riding with them and doing those sort of things and not be involved in the illegal arm. But of course, you're going to be at some parties and whatever where you're mixing with those guys who are doing the illegal things and they seem to be having a better time. And, you know, so I don't think you come into the cult and have to start fucking on the first day or killing on the first day. Like, it's like... No, it's, no, no. It's like a swingers party. Come along the first time, grab a towel, eat some snacks, see if you fit in. But you might just like, you know, the people who are, like, fucking and killing. I guess it's that thing of... Um, where it's, it's kind of like, you know, you see a movie... Uh, with vampires and you're like well do all the characters in this film have they never seen a vampire film so it's like do all these people who enter a cult have they never heard of a cult before so when you know your leader is saying to you hey um you know uh the the, the god from the seventh planet of olala is coming next week and uh it's really important that i impregnate all your wives so just get them to line up like don't you go, oh, that's weird. I mean, I, I, I went to the same high school and read the same books as my friends. I know who Charles Manson is. Like, I've heard of cults. Don't you have some moment of going, oh, that sounds awfully cultish. Hey, Charlie, remember when yeah. you went to that high school that was based on the idea that a virgin gave birth and a bush talked to a guy <laughs> and yet billions yeah. of people throughout history have believed in it? People believe in ridiculous shit. Like a cult is just a smaller version, a more, you know what a cult is? A cult's a pop-up religion. Yeah. Yeah, but I would argue that in uh, sort of larger religions like that, there's more hypocrisy. There's people who claim to be Christian who live very unchristian lives. You know what I mean? Like that's, and that's what I would say about you know, the school I went to is like, sure, like it was a Jesuit school and uh, Catholic school and stuff. But, you know, some of the fathers uh, of the guys I went to school with ran companies that were involved in, you know, very non-Christian <laughs> activities. So I think cults are different and they have greater control over their believers right no i think that if you get closest to the core of any belief system it becomes a cult in the same way as the cheer squad for your afl team are technically the people who love afl the most but they're, yeah. they're not normal afl fans <laughs> they're a cult they're just yeah. a different cult you know their cult involves making a banner out of crepe paper and getting way too into footy on the weekend and maybe putting on <laughs> some face paint and wearing ridiculous clothes but it's still some version and cosplays the same thing you know there's people who love star trek as the tv show and then there's people who you know change their body and their face and stuff so they can look like characters from star trek i mean all these things are some version of the same thing, I think. If you're so close and so into something, it eventually becomes cult-like in its behavior. I mean, there'd be those yeah, people. Right. Don't you think if those people, if like, um, who's the dude who played Spock? What's his name? Uh, the famous actor? Um, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. If Leonard Nimoy had come out and asked a few Trekkies to kill someone... He, he, <laughs> I mean, he could have convinced, like, I reckon he could convince 500 Trekkies to kill someone. Well, actually, I mean, you know, that's what I guess you're sort of seeing at the moment with um, that Milo dude and, and, you know, the kind of the fans of his. There is a kind of element of, 
whipping people into a frenzy to attack someone online or whatever. Like there are, the, that's what I guess, uh, you know, like a shock jock does or, you know, talk back radio hosts or something is that they put an idea out there that they get into an echo chamber and they get that echo chamber worked into a frenzy until that energy is directed in a, in a certain direction. Well, I was just reading about this with the internet. Like, I, this is kind of thematic to some stuff I'm working on for my new stand-up show. And I was reading about, uh, you know, this idea. In fact, I was watching a TED talk uh, from this guy who was talking about, we talk about the internet as being one thing. But the internet is now at a point in its evolution where your internet and my internet are completely different. Even though we're friends and we look up the same sorts of things and whatever, if we Google two articles now, we will not get the same Google search results because Google... Really? Right, yeah. And the the reason is that Google has an algorithm that is essentially watching and listening. So eventually you get fed more and more information that suits the things that you are interested in. So rather than send, so if we Google AFL football, they're going to lean towards things that are interesting to a Saints fan for you much more than they would to me. And that then carries itself out in millions of little decisions we make on the internet. So we get to the point both on Facebook and on Google where we're getting our mm. own version of the internet. And if you're interested in hearing that Hillary Clinton is crooked, you will eventually only get news articles and things that feed into the thing you already believe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh the comforting blanket of confirmation bias. Right. So warm, Will. I don't <laughs> so have warm a, and comforting. It's so nice here where I don't have to hear idiot fucking opinions all the time. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the thing about the confirmation bias is, like people are like, you've got to get outside your bubble. And I do get outside my bubble. Mm. I reckon I'm a bigger consumer of opinions and entertainment than probably almost anybody else. It's my full-time thing. I try to take in information. And when you are listening to something that is people who just completely disagree with you, it's really shit to listen to. Like sometimes yeah. you can find something that where they disagree with you a bit and you can have a reasonable sort of disagreement. But if they're those dickheads like Milo or Andrew Bolt or Rush Limbaugh or any of those sort of people, I can't listen to them for more than a few minutes because eventually I'm like, yeah, everything you're saying is completely wrong. And either you don't believe it and you are just saying it for the sake of being controversial or whatever, or you do yeah. believe it but I still don't even understand how I can reach into your world and we can find some common ground. Yeah. It's funny. I, I've noticed a few of my friends in conversations I've had recently, their tactic, rather than reading everything, is now they read nothing. Like they find going online, reading Twitter, whatever, is too much and they get sucked into that kind of just that, that, um, that din of loud voices. And so they don't watch the news. They don't go online. They try to avoid anything um, news-related because they find it's, it's gotten too much. They want to disconnect. Like there's this kind of regression of like I need to actually get offline and maybe if I stay in a neutral state where I don't hear opinions of one side or the other, I can somehow pick my way through it. Right. Oh, yeah. All we have to do is burn all the books and not be educated at all and everything will be fine. <laughs> Well, it is kind of a, I mean, I, I do wonder, I was, I was having dinner with some um, parents last night who were just talking about the way their kids consume information and spend time online. And when I went around to their house, um, you know, they've got two kids under 10 who are playing basketball in the backyard. And I was sort of saying, oh, that's so funny, because often when I visit friends of mine who have kids, like, you don't see them playing, like, you often see them like you know, on the computer or playing a video game or whatever, but to actually see two kids playing. And they said, well, yeah, they've yeah, actually... Yeah, well, you're like, hey, guys, to- 
do you guys not have the NBA video game? It's so fucking cool. Why are they outside on that version one of the NBA game? That's shit. You are bad parents. Get them that game. You can play against LeBron. But then they actually had to, they said that they just, they've had to sort of, um, what's the word? Like, um, they've had to create like a roster of, okay, well, this is days where we can let you online and stuff. And, you know, you can um, regulate like brow- like surfing the internet and stuff. And then there's other time where they want them to actually go out and have experiences and form their own opinions, not fed to them through Facebook or social media or all their friends from, from school, which it must just be impossible. Like, I guess we were fed a lot of misinformation ourselves just through talking <laughs> to other. We didn't have the internet at the time, but um, I guess now there's more access to misinformation or potentially damaging information or hurtful information or anything like that, that it must be hard for a parent to, you know, you you need to obviously let your kid use the internet, but how do you regulate what they absorb? Right. Well, this is the generation where where they're going to have to teach them how to use the internet properly. You know, we've got to stop thinking Mm. about the internet as if it's not the real world. Mm. It is the real world, so you have to teach people how to deal with it. Like if you were going to a city where people tried to steal from you as much as they try to steal from you on the internet, you would warn (laughs) your kids about that city, right? They'd be like, don't go down that dark alley at night in that city. Uh, You'll meet four Nigerian princes. Uh, (laughs) They will all ask for your credit card details. They will tell you they've got $16 million, but they do not. It is a con. Yeah. Well, but how do you, but what do you, how do you teach responsible internet use? I mean, I was sort of saying to someone, I thought maybe because it's such a new thing, like what, 20 years, you'd say of kind of, you know, this, this internet revolution that maybe, maybe there's just like a biological adjustment that has to take place. You know, we're already sort of, you know, our brains are sort of um, reshaping themselves to not be able to hold on to long-term information anymore because we have things like Google maps and all that kind of stuff maybe it'll plateau out and we'll find a way to incorporate it. Like maybe it's just an adjustment period. I don't know. Like I feel like all the ads I'm seeing in America at the moment, I don't know if it's the same back home, but is for all these new AI uh, uh, devices that are coming into play, like little assistants and stuff that you, you know, control your lights and heating and can turn on your TV and play music and all that kind of stuff. And Look, I know you've been on this bandwagon a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I did get a little kind of like concerned about that. I think I, like, I think that's why our podcast becomes a cult, by the way, because it was obviously yeah. AI that has helped cause this apocalypse and people yeah. are like, Anderson knew about it. Yeah, that's right. You're the prophet. Right. But, it's, but it did actually make me start to go, because the last three weeks... You know, I've been here, um, you know, and I've been working. Like, I've actually sort of been quite isolated. Um, you know, I need to write, I need to um, audition and stuff. So it's really just been me on my own a lot of the time. And so the internet's been my friend. <laughs> I've had fucking time off. Like, I stayed up till three a.m. last night watching a bloody JLT match. You know, <laughs> because it's like, ah, oh, you know, this is my little. I can have a little break. I've been working hard all day. It's my little respite. I can't go i mean you know i've seen a couple of friends but mainly i just need to need to work but the internet has been so comforting like it's been my little reward at the end of the day or you know if i'm making lunch or something like that you know just been able to sort of click around and check my twitter and all that kind of stuff so if this gets more sophisticated where i have 
a device that I can interact with without having to stop and use a keypad or whatever. You know, I just talk to it and it talks back to me. You know, I, you know what? I won't even need you. I'll be walking around making my lunch and I'll say, hey, Siri, uh, what do you reckon about Dolph Lundgren? Well, Dolph Lundgren, uh, you know, let's go check Wikipedia. And then she'll tell me, it'll essentially be Tofa. Well, you will be replaced by like Siri 4.0. But it, does, it, did actually make me, it did actually make me think like, why would you leave? And, you know, you talk, I heard uh, Keanu Reeves, of all people, um, talking on The Nerdist and he was, he, he's made a documentary about VR. They're talking about The Matrix, which led to this discussion about talking about VR. And, you know, there's obviously that concern about, well, you know, they're going to develop these haptic suits and, you know, these, uh, these immersive worlds. And once they get over the kind of issue they're having now with the eye strain, you know, pretty soon we'll be in immersive 3D environments, which will be amazing. Yeah. But and then what, all they'll have what, to deal with is the penis strain of people using them for <laughs> pornography. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, he was saying, okay, yeah, that, that's definitely like a concern is the, um, you know, you're already seeing sort of kids playing fucking World of Warcraft for 24 hours and shitting in their desk chairs and all that kind of stuff. But the flip side of that is, well, you can train surgeons, you can train pilots, you know, you can do all manner of, you know, amazing things that will actually help advance us. So I just wonder if like where we're at with the internet is kind of a, a step short of where we're going to be in about five to ten years with vr anyway and maybe we're just going to get like we will the brains will reshape we'll just get better at handling maybe we're the generation because we're the bridge generation we're going to have it worse but you know if we just get that fucking ipad into a into a fetus's hands if we just cram it cram it up there you know six months pregnant just cram a bloody ipad up there so the kid can get used to swiping on stuff maybe they'll be okay uh well, the problem with that is that that means the iPad's still going to be in there for three months and it'll be out of date by the time it comes out. <laughs> so they will have changed the adapter or something in the meantime. Um, no, I mean Elon Musk, who says a lot of things. The thing about Elon Musk is that he's obviously a very, very smart person, but he says a lot of things. But he said recently that um, he thinks that, you know, the next generation are essentially going to have to become cyborgs to adapt uh, you know, to the world we're going to live in. And what he meant by that is that, you know, we're going to start already, instead of having wearable mm. technology, we will have some of that technology inserted inside Implanted. us, you know, for medical yeah. reasons, for security reasons, for identification reasons, for easier access to the internet and all these worlds as they do develop. And I think that's kind of inevitable because I think it's one of those mm. things that if people have thought about it, the way the world works is it's going to happen. Now, whether that will indeed in all ways make the world better but if we are the last generation that aren't there are humans in the way that we consider to be humans then that is like a mind-blowing thing that i don't think we're talking about enough in our society yeah well i i i read this great book which was um uh like 40 things you need to know about this future by this futurist who was a lot of it was sort of speculation on <clears throat> things like alternative fuels and all that kind of stuff. But he, like Elon Musk, was saying, we're entering the world of human 2.0 because we're already seeing things with artificial limbs. And you've seen those viral videos of, you know, they can now, um, with the studies they're doing on the brains, and they, they can map electrical impulses. So if you are an amputee who has lost an arm, um, you know, they will map your brain as you think out the thoughts of, you know, lifting arm, lowering arm, clasping a fist, whatever. And then they attach a robotic arm to you. And when that 
pattern plays out, the fucking hand acts out those gestures. Like that's, we're not far from that kind of stuff, but that to me makes sense. So all the issues we're having now, for instance, um, and then this discussion I was having the other night with this, these friends of mine, um, you know, there's a friend, a friend of theirs is a psychologist who is dealing with like, you know, adolescent boys who can't get erections because of the pornography they've been swamped with. Like they just have, you know, they're so <laughs> immersed in kind of sexual imagery and stuff and they've gone to the lengths of what can turn them on that they they are actually kind of impotent in a way. I mean, that's so, crazy because when we were that age, you could get an erection if the tram just went in the right sort of rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could get an erection opening like a bottle of like clag glue. Just that aroma <laughs> would be enough to trigger an erection. You, you could get an erection looking up a word in the dictionary and accidentally saying a rude word. <laughs> you could get an erection walking past church on Sunday morning and the bell rings. It was that kind of low register bell. That were dom. The vibrations would just hit your, hit your wiener and get that hard. But one night there was, you, one night there was a new, uh, an earthquake <laughs> in Newcastle and I had a wet dream. That's what it's like when you're a kid. <laughs> In the old days. But if we are kind of augmenting biology, maybe there will be a way, you know, because at the moment we have like ad blockers and internet blockers, you know, to stop people searching stuff. Maybe the, if, if we're all moving towards a kind of, uh, you know, enhanced kind of biology, you'll, there will be some a neural implant or something that will counteract, um, uh, you know, uh, a pornography addiction or an addiction of any kind or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like maybe the problems that we're creating with the internet or the internet are creating at the moment, we'll be able to find them through further development of like VR or, or these kind of integrated technologies. I mean, maybe uh, like the fact that teenage boys can't get erections will be a good thing for the world because think about the mess yeah. that like boys from 15 to about 30, the amount of shit yeah. That is caused by the fucking erections that they yeah. get. Yeah, like, you know, you know, you know who who isn't upset by the impotent teenage boys, mums. <laughs> yeah, like mums who have to do laundry. Yeah, and dads. Yeah. I'm sure there's some dads as well. Any parent who has to bloody go into their son's bedroom and pick up his laundry, and you know when you open that t-shirt and it cracks open <laughs> like a Dead Sea Scroll. Well, maybe that's what it'll be. They'll go to the next like climate summit, you know, one of those UN climate summits and the scientists will all come in and be like, hey guys, um, I mean, this is pretty weird, but uh, it turns out that since the mothers haven't washed the jizz-soaked socks, uh, we fixed <laughs> climate change. It's just evened out. Yeah. It was that much of an issue. Yeah, but well, you know, you know who's fucking would be upset about this would be the manufacturers of tissue paper. Right, that's true. <laughs> they're devastated. Like, they're seeing their profits go through the floor. Kleenex <laughs> are almost fucking... Kleenex are on their knees. <laughs> There'd be people in the Amazon going, we've got too many trees now. Cut some down. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine once described a story to me of um, when he was a teenager... And his mum was um, folding laundry. And he watched as she picked up his favourite mop-up T-shirt that he had. Uh -huh. And she sort of picked it up and she was like, oh. And she held it up to the light. <laughs> and against the light was this gigantic, he said, like, it looked like a continent, a stain on his shirt. <laughs> and his mum was there like going, what happened here? Did you, 
Uh, what the? And he was like, I looked at it and it looked like a map of shame. Oh, it's like, no, it's like a hypercolor. <laughs> That's hypercolor. It's very fashionable, mum. <laughs> it's a Nike splot. Just do it. Um, hey, uh, we forgot to um to to just to, to read about Lundgren. Are you interested to know about this man? Yeah, I'm definitely. Let's get back to Lundgren. Okay, Lundgren. All right. So just quickly, his background. He grew up in Missouri. He was a member of the reorganized Church of Latter Day Saints. According to his allegations, supported by some of his neighbors, he was severely abused as a child, particularly by his okay. father. Mm-hmm. And his mother reportedly did not defend him. Lundgren, by most accounts, was a loner. No, that's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> a loner who starts a cult. When he was in middle and high school, he became an expert hunter. Oh, this is good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> like, this is loner, good with weapons. I mean, uh, also, this feels like a good part for Dolph Lundgren in about, like, 10 years from now. Yeah, don't. Like, Do you know what I mean? It'll be his hunt- cop land. He'll have to put on some weight. He'll have to bald up, grow his hair a bit. Be very good. Yeah, at- he can play. So, he uh, was a hunter who began to spend more time with his father as a teenager. They were on hunting trips. He became a gun expert. Uh-huh. At learning to shoot and maintenance technique. Gun right. expert. Right. Hunter and gun That's expert. Not, when is that ever a good thing to have on your side? Hey, have you met Will? He's a gun expert. Now, I can't really think of a situation where you want to meet a gun expert. The army? The army, I guess. You're about to gun go into expert. battle? This guy's a gun expert? You're going on set to do some sort of like, you know, yeah, stunt yeah, thing? Okay. And you've got a gun expert yeah. there? Literally in the job that you have, Charlie, there's a good one. <laughs> 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 Lundgren enrolled in the Central Missouri State uh, University. He spent time at a house that was specially built for uh, RLDS youth. While at the house, he became friends with Alice Keeler and Keith Johnson. Keeler, who'd been abused by her father as well, quickly bonded with Lundgren, mm. and the two became lovers. Okay. They married in 1970, and he enlisted in the Navy, and they had a boy. In 1974, she was pregnant for the second time. Prior to receiving an honorable discharge from the Navy the last time, Lundgren sought an early release from his term of duty with an argument that his presence was necessary for the sustenance of his family. Okay. He was denied for reasons of non-necessary according to military recommendations. He got an honorable discharge from the Navy after four years. Lundgren and his family moved to California after he was discharged from the Navy, but once economic problems began to set in, the Lundgrens moved back to Missouri. Okay. 1979, Killer gave birth to their third child. Close, uh, people close to the couple claimed that he's frustrated by the family's money problems and was generally tired of his wife mm-hmm. <laughs> and allegedly became abusive right. after the birth of his daughter. According to hospital records, his wife was hospitalized for a ruptured spleen. Oh, God. Oh, which no. may have been caused by Lundgren pushing her into a closet door. In 1980, the couple had their fourth child, another boy. In 87, he was dismissed as a lay minister for the church. Right. Now, this is where it gets into... The crazy religious stuff. And, and just for the record, does still open up the possibility because he had two boys. Oh, and actually, it, it, we don't even know in my apartment block. It could be girls. So there's oh, yeah. like... Well, because it, do, there's it like doesn't four, give the names. Yeah, so. there's, it, it, one of those four could have like started with a D. This is how the defense is mounted, Will. <laughs> we present this article. Yeah. If, we're in the, if we're arguing this fictional court case <laughs> about whether or not Dolph Lundgren lives in this building, this is how we say he isn't. Uh, Lundgren was living in a church-owned home located next to Kirtland Temple in Ohio. He volunteered as a tour guide. He began to teach a concept of the dividing world known as chiastic interpretation or chiasmus. Mary chiasmus. (laughs) To interpret scriptures, Lundgren falsely claimed to have created a chiastic interpretation. 
I don't know what that even means. Okay. The foundation that was that, okay. The foundation of this was that in everything created by God, the right side is a mirror image and therefore scripture had to be interpreted using the same method. Oh. So on the other side of God, there is an opposite. He cited the Kirtland temple as an example because the right side was a mirror image to the left side. To apply this concept to scripture, one takes a sentence from scripture. If the sentences before and after are consistent, the center sentence is the truth. When the sentence before and after conflict, the center sentence is a lie. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, okay. Or does that sound like okay, the words so, of a cult leader? So if the, sen- if the sentence... If you understand this, by the way, you are potentially a cult leader. <laughs> if the sentence in the middle is something like, thou shalt not kill, right? Yeah. But the uh, sentence beforehand or the sentence afterwards are, are not about that. So the first sentence is like, I like ice cream, thou shalt not kill, bees make honey, right? And and if those the two aren't related to thou shalt not kill, then you're like, oh no, well, I can kill people because the two on the other side don't relate to it. Whereas if it had been uh, thou shalt not murder, uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not stab someone to death, you're like, okay, don't don't kill. Okay, it's consistent. Right, so he's saying it's a mirror image. So if the mirror doesn't accurately yeah. have a reflection on the other side, you pick the middle. Right. Seems arbitrary, but I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> his teaching of scriptural interpretations attracted his followers. Lundgren claimed that he moved to Ohio from Missouri because the word Ohio is triastic. It is. O-hi-o. It's true. There's an yeah. O on one end, an O on the other end, and a high in the middle. I know. If it was Ohio... <laughs> he would have to go move to he'd have to move to high so i assume he'd be going to california washington uh, colorado about 1987 lundgren was asked to leave the church-owned house and his job as a tour guide was terminated due to suspicious theft mm-hmm. <laughs> okay a suspicions of theft. Okay. 1987, Lundgren and his family moved to a rented farmhouse located on Route 6, east of Ohio State. Some of the followers knew Lundgren in Missouri, while others were attracted. To, so he already had followers at this stage. Okay. Because of his triastic principles. Yeah. While others were attracted to... Which, basically, if you just pick something up, like if you noticed a pattern in something, you can then take it to someone and say, hey, I, I noticed there's a pattern... Uh, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> if the restaurant does not begin with two letters of the same name, it bringeth the death. From now on, you can only eat at restaurants beginning with the same letter. Yeah. Well, so that's the sort of thing you do. And then you Charcoal start... Charlie's. Well, yeah. <laughs> Fratelli Fresh. All Okay. Patty's pies. <laughs> but and not you, pie face. You're no. fucking going straight to hell with pie face. And you can only have one M&M. Yeah. <laughs> Some of his followers knew Lundgren from Missouri, while others were attracted uh, when they were exposed to his teachings when he was working at a Kirtland temple, as a temple, a Kirtland temple tour guide. At that time, some followers started to move into his home. He's got four kids. That sounds, that sounds inconvenient. 
Those who moved into the house were Kevin Curry, Richard Brand, Greg Winship, Sharon Bluntschley, Daniel Kraft, and Debbie Alvarez. Roland and Susan Luff, Dennis and Tonya Patrick, and Dennis and Cheryl Avery maintained their own residences. I wonder if that, do you reckon that's all his followers? I mean, it doesn't, does seem, it doesn't seem a lot though, does it? Because it's, but because it's, it's so specific, like if he had like, you know, you know, Brian Jonestown numbers, they couldn't individualize them, but they have. So it makes me think that's it. He's got a cult of around about 12 people. Like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, uh, there were others whose names were not made public because they were not significant to the criminal investigation. Conspiracy to, pro- to deprive civil rights, the Kirtland Temple takeover, and multiple homicides of the Avery family. While Lundgren was living at the farmhouse, his teachings continued, and he began to practice the methods of mind control, which were consistent with Robert Lifton's criteria for mind control. Okay. For example, the cult members were forbidden to talk amongst themselves. Doing so was a sin. I think every fucking dad in Australia is a cult leader. Yeah. Shut up! Don't say what I want to hear another word out of you. Here, here are my cult uh, instructions. Sunday. Go to your room. Shut up yeah. in the back or we'll turn this car around. I'll make you yeah. walk. I will make you walk <laughs> and you do not want me to get the wooden spoon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to talk amongst each other was a sin. It was called murmuring. Also, the, wasn't that the name of a Fleetwood Mac album? <laughs> He would eavesdrop on cult members to cause them to believe he could read their minds. <laughs> I love that. On April 23rd, 1988, a neighbour told Curtinland Police Officer Ron Andolsek, could be like one of your pseudonyms, that she suspected that a cult was living at a farmhouse that Lundgren's son warned the neighbour's children that on May 15th, the earth would open up and demons would emerge. Ah, there you go. See, that's a thing. Every cult leader needs an apocalyptic scenario because otherwise, like as a, in screenwriting, they talk about having high stakes, right? Like you need to have the audience rooting for something. So if you're a cult leader, you need high stakes. And nothing is more high stakes than the world's about to explode. It's about to open up and release demons. There's a comet going about to strike the earth. I better sleep with your wives. What? Oh, nothing, just... Uh... <laughs> uh, the earth is going to open up with demons. I want to sleep with your wife. Again, I feel like... Sorry, sorry. Uh, just, I, um, nothing, no. I'm just saying that we should prepare, um, purify ourselves, and if I could fuck your wives, that would also... Sorry. Uh, there you go. Let's do it again. Just <laughs> before... I, I remit, I'm with you on the demons, and we should be prepared, but you keep saying something after that that... No, 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 no. I'm controlling your mind. <laughs> No, I, I totally saw you. I saw you say that. You just put your hands over your mouth and, and whispered in my ear. No. You want me to let you fuck your wife? No, I, okay, now I get what's going on. This is a cult, right? This is a cult. I should have picked it up when you said the earth was going to open up and demons are going to come out. So I, my fault. I'm an idiot. <laughs> on April 28th, 1988, a former cult member referred by the FBI called Kirtland Police and reported the cult's conspiracy to take over the Kirtland Temple to Chief Dennis uh, to Chief Dennis T. Yarbrough. Yarbrough did not believe the informant's information. Oh, that's fucking great. That's the, how Chief Wiggum is that? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, there's a cult. There's a cult on your property. And I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ironically, Chief, Tom Cruise is part of a cult. <laughs> How can you just not believe the informant's information? Like, don't you have a, Don't you have to investigate? Like, if someone if someone called you and said, "Hey, there's a group of people." Living at a farm, they're scaring my kids. They're telling us the world's going to end and demons are going to pop out. I guess you wouldn't. And now that I say it out aloud, I agree with. <laughs> right. I think police if you station work at, chief. I think if you work at a police station, you get lots of loonies. It's like why they don't like sort of, you know, giving... Doing a, a, a mid-dawn shift on the radio. <laughs> right. It is though. Around the yeah. full moon and stuff. But also when they're doing like if someone gets murdered or goes missing or whatever and they have a hotline... You know, you read about the fact that, like, they get, like, hundreds of calls and most of them are from people, you know, saying something kind of mildly crazy or weird or, you know, completely inappropriate. So I guess that you would. And so I guess they have to make that call. But secondly, cops don't fucking investigate anything anymore. Like, uh, 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 I was heard about Nero. Oh, shit, look out. Not, as, not only is Ice Teen body count back, fucking Will Anderson's about to drop hard on the police. Go on. Take it out in the popo, man. I want to hear this. Straight out of Canberra. Uh, so, um, uh, Neralee Meadows, who, who you might know, she's an AFL reporter, and she mm-hmm. uh, had her car re- rear-ended on the way home from a game the other night yeah. uh, in the tunnel in Melbourne, and she took it to the cops, and they wouldn't even investigate it because they couldn't find the ca- they couldn't get the camera footage, and they're just like, well, we can't do anything about it. And you're like, when we, when we had our car stolen, cops were fucking useless. Like, they literally did not give a shit that our car was stolen. And it was like, you know, it was a valuable car, but more importantly, it was, you know, it was personal to us and someone fucking took it and they were like, well, have you got insurance? Because that's essentially as much as we're going to do for you. Like, so yeah, fuck the police. (laughs) (laughs) When Lundgren left, Yabra said that he knew... Oh, hang on. Oh, sorry, I've I've skipped a bit. Okay, skipped a bit. Yep. Uh... Yarbrough did not believe the informant's information. And on May 2nd, 1988, Yarbrough confronted Lundgren at the Kirtland police station. So he didn't believe it, yep. but he brought him in anyway. Brought right, him so in. he's doing I'll get his him job. Yep. When Lundgren left, Yarbrough said that he neutralized this situation by warning Lundgren that there were complaints about gunfire on Lundgren's property. Okay, so he's come Lundgren in, giving him a warning about the guns. Yeah, okay. So, you know what? I think that's, I think that's fair. Yep. Because... It doesn't say the specificity of what was complained about. It just said someone called and said that, you know, there's a, there's, I think there's, they're doing weird shit on your property. So he's, he's done the right thing. He's called him in. He said, stop firing your guns. In the words of Jimmy Barnes, lay down your guns and surrender. I mean, I imagine that the chief of police got bored when they were trying to explain what the cult was. And they were like, well, you know how like a mirror. So if there's a sentence in the middle, it only makes sense if the... And he's like, these guys are fucking idiots. That can't be a real thing. Lundgren went back to his followers and told them... uh, 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 And told them that the... And told them... Hang on. And told them, and told them that the planned May third Kirtland Temple takeover was off, because he had spoken to a higher power. Yeah, that higher power's name was Chief Dennis T. Yabra, you bloody pussy. <laughs> <laughs> the Kirtland police initiated surveillance of Lundgren's residence and church-owned properties. In September 1988, a second informant came forward. Offer, officer, I'll. Adolet, Andolesk, oh fuck, I can't, I can't read, Andolsek, 
Offa and Olsek cultivated the informant and made contact with the ATF and the FBI. The FBI initiated domestic terrorism investigation. On October 10, 1988, the day Lundgren was excommunicated from the RLDS church, there was a thunderstorm at the south end of Kirtland. When the sun emerged, a rainbow appeared to the east. Lundgren told his followers that the rainbow signified the opening of the seven seals. Of course I love that did. movie. Demi Moore, right? Also, good improv. Like, he's in a bit of trouble at this stage, and he's really capitalized yeah. on some local weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like that at the end of Usual Suspects, except he's just looking around and going, uh, yeah, and the uh, rainbow <laughs> is the opening of the seven seals, like... The Volkswagen Beetle uh, signifies the arriving of the four horsemen. And yes, yes, a uh, workman with a jackhammer is, is the, 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 the letting down of brimstone in this apocalyptic situation. Your fly's open. Yes, my fly is open. <laughs> the doors of hell are about to open as well. And shoot. Yes, the penis of demonology has emerged. <laughs> I want to fuck your wife. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So he says the seven seals have begun. Lundgren okay. and his family s- soon abandoned the religious group. And Lundgren began to feel the call to teach the Bible in the way he understood it. I kind of, in a weird way, I sort of feel like this Wikipedia has been written by this guy. You know what I mean? Like yep. it's so oddly detailed and contains a lot of information that is very speculative. Like I sort of feel that maybe he or a close personal family member has written this. He formed his own sect soon after. Membership never exceeded more than 20. Good. You know what? Small business owner. Right, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Keep the overheads low. <laughs> Keep it small, yeah, keep it local. People, if you're going to start, like if you're going to be the only survivors after a worldwide apocalypse, 20 seems ample, right? That's heaps. You can play nine aside, AFL nines. <laughs> right. That's nine wives you can try to fuck. <laughs> There were some of the most conservative members of the RLDS church who believed that God communicated through regular revelations, although some members admitted that they claimed to have revelations even when they did not. All right. (laughs) So how do you evaluate which were the real revelations and which were the fake revelations? I mean, it feels like one of those things that you're really drawing a line on things that both don't exist. Do you mean? Like, it's like... My imaginary friend is better than your imaginary friend. My, it's like you, cons- it's like me arguing that my dream last night was better than your dream last night. <laughs> <laughs> the conservatives were also opposed to more li- liberal rights for women. Hmm, that's unusual. Yeah, for a cult. This was or during a, a rift. <laughs> this was during a rift with the more liberal members of the church. Oh, okay. I love it. Even in a cult of twenty, there's yep. fucking blue and red. <laughs> Alice Lundgren often acted as a cheerleader to Jeffrey Lundgren. She had claimed she once had a revelation that she would meet an important member of the RDLS church and later concluded to this alleged revelation that this alleged revelation referred to Jerry. How convenient. Uh, Jeff, Jerry, Jeffrey, her husband. Lundgren began to offer Bible study services in his home. Lundgren would dominate the services himself and he would intimidate anyone who did not agree with him. He would later encourage others to intimidate those who disagreed as well. <laughs> this is... I feel like if this is this is like the like he's really getting his groove of being yeah. a cult guy now. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's had a few like misfires and shit, but now he's like, oh, I know what to do now. If I really want to fuck their wife, right. <laughs> I've really got to start intimidating them and get others to intimidate for me. <laughs> then I can fuck their wives. 
He sought to convince his congregation that he was God's last prophet. He asked for money from his supporters and some would give him their life savings, which often were calculated to be thousands of dollars. (laughs) It's not, you know... I mean, if that's your big business plan, oh, ripping off pensions, twenty people, for their fucking savings, yeah. twenty people. Like you know, maybe if you're talking like you know, cult of like thirty thousand, you right. know, you're doing, Well, that's what we're trying to do with Tofop and Patreon, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you could Patreon a cult these days easily. <laughs> you offer the right Even rewards, then- you know, hundred dollars. You actually get to sit up the front of the spaceship. <laughs> Lundgren then proclaimed he had received a call from God. Not a text. God's very old-fashioned. No. He'd received a call from God uh, to move to Kirtland, Ohio. According to Lundgren, he was told by God that he and his supporters would soon witness the second coming of Christ if right. they moved to Kirtland. I love that. Jesus is, don't you love Jesus is up there going, oh, my God, are you really going to drag me into this? Like, fine, start your own cult. I did as well. It was fine. Everyone should do it, but don't bring me into your dumb cult. And it's also that thing with Jesus where like, because that is the selling point, isn't it? All the time it's like, you know, it's like seeing the Northern Lights or whatever. You're like, you want to go and see, you know, Jesus come back. That's your big sort of, if you're religious, yeah. you want to be there when Jesus comes back. But if you're if religious. You're the beastie, if you're the Beastie Boys, that's your sabotage. Like you'll see all the other stuff, but you're just waiting for them to play sabotage. Right. But I would have said also, like when Jesus comes back, surely he's going to do some out of town gigs to warm up first. Like, he's not going to play the big stadiums first. You know, he's going to be under some assumed name at some local club, like H. Christ, just doing... Jerry Clark. Yeah, trying to update his material, you know. but that So that would make sense. Like, a cult of 20 would be a good little warm-up gig. Right. You know, that's that's like playing... That's a good point, actually. Yeah, the North Could RSL or something, you know. Yeah, you've got some people (laughs) in off your mailing list. I'll do an out-of-town warm-up gig in front of some fans. Yeah. <laughs> so I get to Ohio so no one in LA or New York hears about me being back <laughs> and I'll try out some stuff on you guys because I know you guys are fans. It's like me being in Canberra doing these trial shows. <laughs> Lundgren was attracted to Kirtland because it was the home of Kirtland Temple, built by Joseph Smith and Smith's followers. Joseph Smith is yep. the Mormon dude, right? I assume the Lundgren, same one. Yeah, Lundgren would tell his followers that on May 3rd, no year specified, May 3rd was also his birthday. <laughs> I love the way Lundgren <laughs> fucking sees a rainbow. Seven seals. What date should we be concerned about? Uh, March 3rd, is it your birthday? Yeah, and bring me cake. <laughs> what? Cake for your birthday or the apocalypse? Both. Two. I want two cakes. A birthday cake. And don't say that's for the birthday and the apocalypse. I want (laughs) two separate cakes. (laughs) Jesus had his birthday on Christmas. It makes sense. It's so funny. Well, that's May 3rd uh, was his birthday. And it was the second second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, (laughs) uh, He would arrive. Jesus would arrive at the Kirtland Temple. Um, uh, and then he and his followers would have to seize the Kirtland Temple by force. Oh, no, sorry. So because the, the, the temple was going to host the second coming, okay. he and his followers would have to seize it by force to get it ready. I mean, couldn't you just book it? <laughs> like, isn't there just like you call up and say, hey, can we book 
the temple for no, uh, I think the, the second coming of Jesus. But aren't the old school Mormons or whoever they are, like the whatever church he's involved in, aren't they there Latter-day in the Saints. old temple? And that's where they all think it's they're coming. He's coming back to, but they've got this new way of thinking, you know, mirrors and sentences and oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So they need to overthrow Triastic. these old idiots so that when Jesus comes back, he gets the people who really get it. Lundgren and yeah, his right. mates. Yeah, they're they're the hardcore fans. Yeah, they're the twenty they're the, they're the twenty dollar and above subscribers to Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash tofop. <laughs> the conspiracy involved burglarizing adjacent church homes and committing murder. Hang on, what? as part of the Kirtland Temple takeover, Lundgren called the land around the temple the vineyards, which had to be redeemed or cleansed. See, now he's going into some fucking cliched cult leader stuff, yeah. right? Cleansing, purification had to be cleansed for him and his followers to take the temple. I think what's happened here is that he's running out of fucking ideas. He's, you know, thrown out the rainbow, seven symbols thing, second coming, oh, that's my birthday. And it's like, well, what do we do next? Take those houses and kill those people. And he's like, oh, shit. As oh, soon as shit. They do, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh-oh. But this time, seven of Lundgren's 12 followers had moved into the family home. The remaining five were members of Dennis Avery's family. Lundgren felt that the Averys were committing a sin by not living in his house. <laughs> the, Av- the Avery family father, Dennis, sold his Missouri house in order for his family to move to Ohio. Dennis Avery believed in Jeffrey completely and trusted him. Jeffrey, however, considered Dennis Avery to be weak. And when Dennis was no longer useful to Jerry, he began talking about Dennis behind his back. Mm. So... The other way to run a cult is to be a 15-year-old girl. Right. Have you heard about what Dennis is saying? Uh, he is so boring. He doesn't believe Jesus is coming back on March 3rd, yeah. May 3rd at all. No, but no, because Dennis is actually really nice. Dennis likes Jeffrey, but Jeffrey's the yeah. one who's turned. So he's now suddenly like, do you hate Dennis? I hate Dennis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell Dennis I'm breaking up with him? Yeah. Jeff, Jeffrey often used Dennis as a scapegoat for their troubles, even though Dennis was one of the leading contributors. Oh, poor Dennis. Dennis Avery decided to set apart a relatively small amount of money for his family to use with a bank account. Once again, Lundgren considered this a sin because Lundgren wanted all of his followers' money to be exclusively given exclusively to him. In time, Lundgren convinced his followers that they had to seize the temple, from which he had stolen about $40,000, and to kill anyone who stood in their way. He changed his mind, however, and started telling his followers that they had to kill a family of a family of five if they wanted to see God. Wow. Horrible and specific. As punishment for their disloyalty, he chose the Averys, that motherfucker. Oh. At some point, he referred to the slaughter of the Avery fa- family as pruning the vineyard. <sighs> On April 10th, 1989, Lundgren ordered two of his followers to dig a pit in the barn and in anticipation of burying the Avery's bodies there. Wow. The expectation was that there could be five bodies buried in the pit. Lundgren told the rest of his followers, including the Avery's, that they would go on a wilderness trip. <laughs> on April 17th, he rented a motel room and had dinner with all of his followers. Then he called his group's men into his room. He questioned each as to their purpose in the action. All the men assured Lundgren that they were with him in the sacrifice. Holy shit. Oh, no. Cut to Dennis Avery, just like whistling a tune, hands in his pockets, doesn't know what the fuck's going to happen. Dennis is like, this has been really great, Jeffrey. Uh, thanks for inviting yeah. us all out to dinner. Oh, can you imagine that? Do you, <laughs> do you think, it, yeah, if, if at some point at the dinner, like Dennis, like clinked his glass, was like, yeah. Yeah. I just want to make a little speech. Just want to thank Jeffrey for being 
the best cult leader out there. Look, Jeffrey, I've, I've been friends with a lot of guys, but you are the best. I look at you, and I look at you as a guy who I totally believe would never conspire to have me brutally murdered by a group of people. Um, I love you, mate. I'm going to love you forever. <laughs> According to the followers' admissions, Ludgren later went inside the barn with a church member named Ron Luff, luring Dennis Avery into place with the other men awaited by asking him for help with equipment for the camping trip. Luff attempted to render Avery unconscious with a stun gun, but due to a malfunction, a stun bullet struck Avery, <laughs> but did not knock him out. Look, I don't know what the next paragraph is going to be, so I don't want to laugh. I mean, it's, it's, worse. it's going to be but terrible. that's pretty funny. Spoilers, it's going to be terrible, but that's funny. <laughs> Avery was then gagged and dragged to the place where Lundgren awaited. Mm -hmm. He was shot twice in the back, dying almost instantly. Yeah. To mask the sound of the gun, a chainsaw was left running. <laughs> nothing sounds more soothing than the sound of a fucking chainsaw going in the middle of the night. All right, nothing sus. Just somebody <laughs> chainsawing in the barn for no real reason. Luff then told Avery's wife, Cheryl, that her husband needed help. Oh, so they're just going to go for the fucking no. same, the same bloody ploy. One by one, though. She was gagged. It's a smart plan. No, no stun gun, I imagine, this time. She was gagged like her husband, but also duct tape put over her eyes and dragged to Lundgren. She was shot three times, twice in the breasts and one in the abdomen. Yeah. Her body lay next to her husband's. The Avery's 15-year-old daughter, Trina, was shot twice in the head. The first <sighs> shot missed, but the second killed her instantly. 13-year-old Becky Avery was shot twice oh. and left to die, while six-year-old Karen Avery was shot in the chest and head. Oh, my God. I haven't got to the end. I hope he gets electrocuted. The barn where the incident took place was demolished in 2007. Arrest and conviction. The day after the murders, officers coincidentally came to Lundgren's farm to talk to him. After this encounter, he became paranoid about being caught. And with the rest of his cult, he left Ohio and moved to West Virginia. As months went by, nothing happened. Lundgren became disillusioned and he and his family moved to California, abandoning the rest of the surviving cult members in West Virginia. Nine, I mean, seriously, this is the point, like... How insane is this guy if he was sane enough to get paranoid to move and then abandon his fellow? Like, he can't plead insanity, right? Like, there's, he's, he, I don't think he believed in any of this shit. Like, he wasn't insane. Because if you are fully committed to this idea of the second coming and I've been anointed by God and shit, are you really going to care about the authorities coming to get you? No. You're going to just fucking sit there and take your medicine. But he knew. Nine months after the killings on January 3rd, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty fair point, isn't it? It's not like you're going to go, oh, no, we need to do this so that God will honor us, but I don't want to get in trouble with the cops. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, your, your argument is immediately invalid. Right. Nine months after the killings, January, 19, January 1990, a tip from an informant led the police back to the long-abandoned farm, uncovering five bodies of the Avery family. The Lundgrens became fugitives. Media attention increased and police began to track the cult members with the FBI joining the manhunt. Eventually Lundgren's followers eventually Lundgren's followers, who he had abandoned back east, were found. They helped catch him and his family. Thirteen of Lundgren's sect were arrested early in nineteen ninety, including Lundgren and his wife. He was given the death penalty. His wife received five life life sentences, 140 years for conspiracy, complicity, and kidnapping. While their son Oh, and this is where it all comes full circle. Guess what the son's name is? Damon. You live near Damon Lundgren. <laughs> wow. I didn't think this was going to lead anywhere, but it has. Uh, We've solved the mystery. It isn't Dolph Lundgren. You live next to the son of a mass murderer. 
Damon Lundgren. Um, I think it's unlikely it is Damon because it says here he was sentenced to 120 years to life. Ronald Luff, key to planning and facilitating the murders, was sentenced to 170 years. Daniel Kraft, 50 years. Five of the cult members were released in 2010 and 2011 after roughly 20 years of incarceration. Prosecutor Charles Coulson. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you just making this up now? That sounds like a name that you would make up for you. Just as a, <laughs> a Charles Coulson. My pseudonym. Charles Coulson. Charlie Coulson confirmed that the original plea agreements meant that the five were to be eligible for release at their earliest possible time. But Ohio State Parole Board had repeatedly denied earlier requests um, for Richard Brand and Greg Winship, as well as Sharon Blatchley and Debbie Olivares and Susan Luff, all serving seven to 25 years. Lundgren followers Catherine Johnson, Tonya Patrick and Dennis Patrick were determined not have been involved in the murders, receiving one-year sentences for obstruction of justice, of, of justice. Execution. All right. The Ohio Supreme Court on October 24th, 2006, um, that's when they set his execution date. And according to the state, the state, Attorney's General Office, state Attorney General's Office, as of August 2006, he had his exhausted all of his appeals. On October 17, 2006, Judge Gregory L. Frost issued an order temporarily delaying Lundgren's execution. Lundgren attempted to join a lawsuit with five other Ohio death row inmates challenging the state's Death penalty law. All right. Fuck you, pussy. You're the one who's gone around talking about your mate Jesus and the afterlife and blah, blah, blah. Why all of a sudden are you so scared of death? Like, fuck you, pal. That's uh, actually, I'm reading from the judge's statement. That's the right. <laughs> <laughs> it literally says, fuck you, pal. No, that's all me. Um, uh, he challenged the state's death penalty laws, claiming that because of his ho- obesity, the lethal injection could be particularly painful and amount to cruel and unusual punishment, to which I say, good. <laughs> Fucking sucked in. Again, reading the judge's statement. <laughs> State Attorney General Jim Petro appealed to the United States Court of Appeals of the Sixth Circuit Cincinnati, uh, they issued an order allowing the execution to go forward. The U.S. Supreme Court refused a last-minute request to stop his execution. Uh, Governor, Governor Bob Taft denied clemency on October 24, 2006. Jeffrey Lundgren was executed at Southern Ohio Correctional Facility, Lucasville. The end. Well, there you go. Well, that's our episode of TOEFOP this week. <laughs> <laughs> Not where I expected it to go when we started talking about Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Uh, do you have any of the shows to plug? Uh, yeah, I start my tour. Um, so people will be hearing this. If you're hearing this on the day that it comes out, I am only one week away from the start of my brand new tour. It starts in Adelaide at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Then it goes to uh, Brisbane for the Brisbane Comedy Festival. Uh, Hobart is already sold out, unfortunately. So if you're in Hobart, uh, sorry about that. Uh, Melbourne for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. That is selling really quickly. So um, get in quick for that. Uh, Sydney Opera House is more than half sold out. Uh, if you want tickets to the Opera House, April 8th. I've just put a show on in Wollongong. Uh, and then I have Darwin and Perth after that. Uh, so... Um, that was heaps uh, of places that I'm going. So uh, check me out in all those places. And there's a new philosophy up this week with um, uh, sex worker Lucy B. It's really interesting, actually. So um, I would recommend people check that out if uh, that's something they're interested in. And you may have noticed we have a Patreon page. Uh, Patreon is an ongoing subscription site where you can support the podcast uh, 
through any amount from a dollar up to well uh 69.99 yeah that seems like a good ceiling i think that's like i'd feel a bit bad people supporting i think we have one hundred dollar subscriber so oh, really like paying us a hundred bucks a month yeah yeah oh, thank well. you ms reinhardt <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think uh, Tova would be your speed, but I'm, I'm glad to have your support. What we'd like you to give us is your entire life savings. <laughs> <laughs> because the podcopalypse um, is... Pop, no, anyway. One reason to be uh, part of... Uh, uh, to get on Patreon, apart from James uh, Fosdyke's amazing work and amazing. access to um, our, our, uh, the ebook of our 100th episode and a bunch of other great, really, thing, uh, really great things is um, our upcoming live show at Melbourne Comedy Festival. Um, you join at a, a certain level, I think it's 10 or $15, you will get um, first notification for tickets. So here's a suggestion. Maybe you're only interested in seeing us live. Well, if you sign up for Patreon at the top, uh, the top tier... When we release the tickets, you'll uh, get uh, you'll get advance notice, and then you know jump down to whatever level you want. And that's the beauty of Patreon is whatever your situation is, you can support us a certain level, and then if you need to drop it down for whatever reason, that's fine. If suddenly you're flush, you win tapped a lot or whatever, you want to bump it up for a couple of months, that helps us. Every single dollar helps. We understand how the economy works, right, Will? Yeah, well, barely, I think, between <laughs> us. But we understand that people have certain amounts of money and we appreciate that they contribute at all. So thank you for supporting the show and there are some cool things there. Um, also, if you want to support the show and you have no money but you just want to give us a bit of a backing, they're running the Aussie Podcast Awards at the moment. If you go to castawayawards.com.au slash vote, you can vote for our show or for any other show, by the way. But, you know, we'd like you to vote for our show because we're getting our ass kicked by podcasts we've never heard of. So... <laughs> Well, that's what I'm told. I haven't actually even seen it, but I heard that and now I've repurposed it as if it's my own information. But uh, Mike will post the link and stuff when the episode goes up. But if you want to give us a vote, then that'd be cool. Um, anything else, Charlie? No, I think that's it. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. $3 today, guys. <laughs>